If you have your Bibles, open it up to Proverbs 29. I'm going to read verse 18. There will be several other verses that I'll make mention of this morning. Proverbs 29 and 18. And I want to talk about the nature of vision. The nature of vision. Proverbs 29, 18. I know there are numerous versions that are represented by way of Bibles here in the congregation. I'm going to read to you out of my particular version. It's the New King James Version. But I'm going to give you some variant possible translations out of the Hebrew as I just read it to you. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. It's probably the best verse aside from one out of Habakkuk, which I'll read later. It may be the best verse with regards to the nature of vision. Proverbs 29 and 18. It says, where there is no, the old King James would say vision. The new King James says revelation. The actual Hebrew word there probably is best understood as prophetic insight. Where there is no prophetic insight. It's in a continuing form, so it actually means where there is no progressive prophetic insight, where there is no progressive, ongoing vision. The people, my version says, cast off restraint. The King James, old King James version would say the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The King James version reads. My version reads where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But if I, could, if I could just give you the fullness of what Solomon is trying to communicate there, it would read something like this. Where there is no progressive, ongoing, continual, prophetic vision and insight and unveiling, the people will wander aimlessly. They'll wander so aimlessly that eventually they will die. That's what that literally means in Proverbs 29 and 18. And that's why you'll find so many variances when it comes to how do we translate this particular verse. It says this, that if you aren't continually hearing what God is saying, if you aren't continually seeing what he's unveiling, if you aren't continually moving forward in all that God is opening up, it says that you'll cast off restraint and you'll just go here, there, and everywhere. You'll try everything under the sun until eventually you'll exhaust yourself and you'll die. But the concomitant or the opposite of that is also true that if you can see and hear and implement and embrace all that God is saying and doing, you will hit the mark. Isn't that good? The nature of vision. The nature of vision. Any successful life, any successful church, any successful organization, any endeavor at all requires vision. Vision as I was studying it again and reading dictionary definitions and other people's definition, and I believe I put it on the screen overhead, vision can be defined one of several ways. Some have defined it as unusual competence in discernment or perception. In other words, there's an unusual uh, uh, ability or skill in seeing beyond just what's in front of you to perceiving more than just what may be obvious to everyone else. One has defined vision that way. Another has defined it as intelligent foresight. Intelligent foresight. Another has defined it as the art of seeing the invisible. Vision is the ability to see that which may not be seen by the natural eye. Now, I'll give you my definition. I figure if everyone else can make up a definition, why can't I make up a definition? You know, you know, you've heard the old saying that an expert is anybody that's traveled 25 miles to you and carries a briefcase. You know, you've heard that's an expert. 
You know, these people are just people giving you definitions. I figure, well, why not? I'll give my definition. My definition is this, a picture of the future that produces passion. A picture of the future that produces passion. I'll say it again as I started. Any life, any church, any organization, any business, any endeavor requires vision. Now, we understand that. In in several areas, we understand maybe in our business, we need to have a vision. We are in the political season, and so we will hear about about the vision all these candidates have with regards to America and government. And we all know that if there's not a vision there, in fact, if it's not compelling, if it doesn't capture our attention, um, we really don't probably want much to do with it. And we also know that unless these leaders carry some form of vision... Very little will be realized and very little will be achieved. We need to understand that vision is not just a, a, a marketplace um, sort of a business concept or, or business precept. But vision originally was instituted by God for his people. Vision is how God works in human beings for their own lives and for his church. Unless you have a vision for where God wants you to go or who God wants you to be, you'll never get there. Do you understand that? That's why people are so frustrated at times in their personal Christian walk. They don't have a vision for for their future. You don't see yourself free from your bondage. You don't see yourself serving God wholeheartedly and fully. You've got to start seeing yourself that way. I know what you'll say. You'll say, I don't feel that way. I don't look that way. That's not my life. I understand that. That's why you need a vision you got to get that vision to see what you could be. That's what God, you know, right now God sees what you could be. And that's the key to vision. Vision is beginning to understand that, that it's, in fact, it's not only what could happen, it's what should happen. In fact, it's got to translate from the coulds to the shoulds. When it was Nehemiah and uh, he heard that the wall had fallen down, in uh, ancient Jerusalem, and he heard that, that, that Jerusalem was not what it should be. There was a burden that came upon him, and he got a vision. He got a vision to rebuild the wall there in Jerusalem. And for Nehemiah, it wasn't an option. It was no longer, well, this, this, this could be done. It was, this should be done. This needs to be done. When Joshua was looking at the promised land, and he got a vision for leading the people into the promised land along with Caleb. It was interesting that, that they just didn't look at the people and said, well, we could do this. This would be a good thing to do, don't you think? No, they said, this should be done. This is God's heart. This is God's will. It wasn't an option. When Moses was to deliver the people from Israel, this wasn't something that was voted on, and this wasn't something that was simply you know, brought about by consensus, by some, some group or some organization. This was something that God burned in him where it was no longer, well, we could do this or I could do this, but it was, no, I should do this. I need to do this. It was no longer an option because it had become vision. Do you understand vision is more than just this dream or this wishful thinking or maybe this will happen, but vision is when you see what should be. That's vision. Jesus certainly was a man of vision. Great vision. He saw a world 
that needed to be transformed, a world that he was going to die for. Can I just suggest this to you? That, that you'll know if you have a vision when you're ready to die for it. That's when you know you got a vision. Are you willing to expend your life going after this thing? Are you willing to invest your life, in, invest your time, invest your energy, invest your finance, just invest your passion, invest your energy? You'll find out whether or not that's true vision or not or whether it's just sort of a, sort of a hobby. When you find out whether you'll lay your life down for it or not. And Jesus certainly had a vision to redeem all of us. We need, you and I need to have a vision that is worthy of the King of Kings. And it's no less than world changing. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to lay my life down for something, give my money to something, expend my energy in something, take criticism for something... Have your reputation dragged through a knothole. If you're going to have all those things happen, then I want to make sure this vision is going to change a world. I mean, why else would you do it? If it wasn't world changing, then you might as well throw the towel in and give it up. But it ought to be worthy, worthy of the King of Kings and no less than world changing. And I want to just suggest to you, and, I, and I'll remind you some of the things that we do here that I feel like are part of our vision. But I, I want to just share with you because... Vision is more than just what we do in church or where we're going in church, but vision is about your life too. It, it's about what, what God's called you to do by way of your job, your career, by way of your family, uh, your marriage. I mean, we got to start getting a vision for some things. You want a better marriage? Get a vision for it. If you want a better family? Get a vision for it. I mean, if you want some things to happen in your life, a new career, get a vision for it. And the vision isn't just, well, I hope, I wish. A vision is, no, it should be. This is the way it should be. That's vision. But I want to share with you just a few things that I think will help. And it began to help me again as I was just rekindling these things after reading that book in my life. There are four ways that our vision can be inadequate. Four ways that our vision can be inadequate. And I want to give you a little illustration that's just easy for everyone to identify with. It has no clandestine uh, meaning behind it except that everybody can get it pretty easily and it's and this is the illustration let's assume for a moment we have a man and this man is driven by what he would call his vision of making as much money as possible all right now we all can identify with somebody we either know or maybe there's been a moment we've been in that particular scenario but the vision he says he has is that i want to make as much money as possible now that may be his vision but there are four things that will keep him from achieving that vision potentially Number one is, he may be limited in his idea of what a lot of money is. Thank you. You know, for some people, $100 is a lot of money. Amen? I mean, if you don't have two dimes to scrape together, 100 bucks looks good. So $100 in some people's minds, man, that's a lot of money. For some people here, if I were to say $1,000, that's a lot of money. That would be a lot of money to you, $1,000. $10,000 would be a lot. $100,000, a million I mean, all of these seven million, that's all, we, we say to ourselves, this is a lot of money. So it's interesting that when it comes to vision, we, we've got to begin to understand that, that, that what, we can be limited or something can be inadequate if somehow or another we think something is a lot when really it's not a lot. Do you know there are people right now, this week, who will transition buildings and properties and monies with so many zeros behind it, you and I can't even fathom that. And they do it like it's second nature to them because those numbers are not that big to them. Are you with me? I, I, I mean, Donald Trump is moving 
moving buildings. And we're talking multi-million dollar deals, probably on a weekly basis. And they're just signing off on the paper and it's no big deal. I'll never forget the first house I bought, I think cost like $56,000. That, that dates me a little bit, doesn't it? 60, 69K? Well, we must have had a down payment or something. But anyway... No, and anyway, that, that, of course, that's still, in, in today's terms, that doesn't sound like all that much for a house. But, in, but I can guarantee you, when we purchased that first house, and they put that contract in front of me, and I had to put my name on the line, and I looked at six, nine, slash, and there were three zeros, I'm here to tell you that seemed like a ton of money. In fact, I'll go to another one. I remember the first car I purchased myself. It cost, it cost just about three, uh, well, three four thousand dollars. And I had to sign the note from the bank because I was going to have to make a few payments to get that car. Just three, four thousand dollars, and my hand shook. Three thousand dollars, dear God, three thousand dollars. But you see, you see, my problem. My problem was I had created that number to be this this gigantic number. And you, can you begin to see that if, if, if you have a vision, you need to be careful that you don't allow that which really is small to become too large. In your mind. There can be another inadequacy. This man who's making all the money he can. He may never have developed a specific plan for making his money. It's just, it's just sort of a vague thing. I mean, there are a lot of people who want a lot of money. Yeah. I, in fact, they'll even spiritualize it. Yes, God's called me to be a millionaire. Now, you can't get them to go to work on time, but God's called them to be a millionaire. They've got no plan for how they're going to make this money. It's just this vague kind of dream. He may never see this gentleman who wants to make a lot of money. He may never see the process or the journey of getting there and how God would want to lead him to this place of making a lot of money. He may think that all of a sudden he's going to be at his door and the publisher clearinghouse van drives up and poof, he gets his million. Be nice, wouldn't it? And then finally, he may not understand why he would need that kind of money. Now, there's some of us, if just using this guy as an illustration, who say, I want to make a lot of money, but we've got no idea why. Aside from we'd go get more junk and toys and fill our house up with TVs and electronic equipment and gadgets. And we'd, we'd, just, we'd, we'd get money and we'd spend it, but we really don't know why we were intended to have it. All we do is get more stuff with it. Now, I give you that illustration because... In the same way, when it comes to our vision from God, with regards to our life, with regards to our personal futures, with regard to our corporate future as the church, we may need to step back for just a moment and realize that our vision from God may be inadequate as well. There's nothing wrong with a vision, let's say, that we put up to win souls and disciple people. I mean, who could fault a vision like that? To reach people with the gospel, to reach a city with the gospel, to affect people uh, for the gospel with the kingdom of God. I mean, nobody could fault you for having that kind of vision. But as noble as those things are on the surface, the Holy Spirit has dealt with me about the inadequacies that may be there when we just say that. Now, guys, don't flash anything yet. I'm still not there. I'm fooling him. I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm fooling him. For instance, we or I, maybe we've thought too small concerning what should, not just what could happen, but what should happen. Perhaps we have thought too generally about what we should be doing. 
Perhaps we've not appreciated or recognized the journey or the progress in the journey as God unveils it and as we move that direction. And perhaps we've not thoroughly understood the why of all of our existences. And, And I started to ask the Lord while I was gone, what is the reason? Lord, help me nail it down once and for all, the reason for my existence. And I want to elaborate now on these four inadequacies. And guys, this is the time to put it on the screen. Number one. The problem with thinking too small. The problem with thinking too small. We tend to think too small with regards to the Lord's work. Whenever it comes to church, it seems like all of a sudden we scale back and we think too small. And I think we do that for various reasons. Sometimes I think in the life of the body, we've tried things before and they failed. And because they have failed... It causes us to be a little bit tentative about throwing our hat or throwing ourselves into one more failed effort. And so a lot of times I think we just think smaller and we say to ourselves, well, let's just, let's just bring, the, bring the goal or the vision kind of back into the natural realm and let's just sort of figure it out amongst ourselves whether or not we can do this so we can be sure we will hit it. Maybe we've done things and we've not seen any fruit from it. Maybe, and this is true, you wouldn't think it to be so, but even in the life of the church, there's a spirit of pessimism. People just are pessimistic. It's amazing to me. We serve a God of the impossible, and we walk around pessimistic. We've developed, even in our circles, a theology of defeat. I am amazed at how well defeat sells. We could could crank out books about how the end times There's going to be collapsing and the apocalypse. And I understand that darkness is going to invade. Yes, gross darkness. I understand that there are going to be terrible, terrible times, difficult times. But I don't care how difficult the future may be. God is not bound to the economy of this world. I don't care. The whole America as we know it can go away. But that does not mean God is going anywhere. He says, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. That's how come I invest in that kingdom. Because you can take everything away from me. God forbid a hurricane came through, wiped us out. God forbid that would ever happen. But that won't hinder God's work one iota. Not one iota. And we think too small. And so what we say is, well, we just need to hold the fort. Let's just hold the fort. Keep everything held. Just Let's do our best to hold everything. Don't expect much. If we just don't expect much, we'll never be disappointed. So let's just, let's just keep it contained. And unfortunately, we limit the Lord with that kind of mentality. We limit what He can do. And we never see the supernatural. We never see the miraculous. We never see something beyond ourselves because we vision within our box. And we say to ourselves, we'll believe God for this because we know we can do it. And then we do it. And then we run around and say, praise God. Isn't God good? Well, yeah, He's good. But you did it, not him. And we thought way too small. That's the problem. Number two, there's a problem with thinking too general. We know we can have the greatest ideas in the world and all the things we may do, but we have to flesh out some steps. We have to flesh out some specifics in reaching what God has for us. When Nehemiah got his vision of the wall and to rebuild it, it's interesting that almost right away he starts talking about in the scripture the materials he's going to need in order to have that vision come to pass. And 
He has to figure out where the supplies are going to come from. And then all of a sudden, God's favor shows up. You'll remember, he got letters from the king, which enabled him to go get materials in order to build the wall. Now, we may have a great spiritual vision, and I believe we do, but we have to have concrete steps, measurable action. Goals have a place in the economy of God. Let me give you an example in your life. If you want... A, a, a new job, if you want to be able to see a door open up for you, if you want to be able to see God do something great in your personal area of work and job situation, maybe your first goal is getting an alarm clock and setting it and getting up on time. Step one, get up on time. Step two, get there on time. Step three, give them a full day's work for a full day's pay. It's amazing how much favor would come if we just worked. Are you with me? There's got to be some... You can, you can have dreams. I don't want to douse anyone's dreams, but you've got to put some concrete steps as to what you're going to do in order to move that particular direction. You may want to be a person of influence. You may want to be someone who has great resource that you can begin to disseminate things for gospel projects. You may, you may want to be... A, 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 you know, married. You may want to be uh, healthy. You may want to be uh, a certain weight. You may want to be all kinds of things. You got to get a vision for it, and then you've got to set some concrete steps on what it's going to take to get there. What's the plan? Number three, the problem with regards to being inadequate is with not understanding the progression. We've got to understand that when it comes to vision, like I read to you in Proverbs 29, 18, it says that there's ongoing, ever-expanding prophetic revelation. In other words, vision, vision is not static. This is the most interesting thing, I think, in church life, because this is where most churches fail, is that we, 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 we get a, an initial vision from God, and, and then what we do is we cause it to be static or or. We put it in cement in such a way that we develop traditions out of that that we think can never be moved, changed, or reconsidered. And we need to understand that vision from God is forever dynamic. Now, I'm not suggesting that God changes. God doesn't change. His ways don't change. His precepts never change. However, truth of the matter is that how those precepts and how that vision and, and, and how his ways are implemented in the life of his people are forever changing. Because truth of the matter is, is this not true? You and I aren't God. Can we say amen? All right. That, that may be somebody's first recognition. I am not God. I am not the center of the universe. And once you realize that, then you'll begin to get the second point. That if God is God and he is who he says he is, and I'm not, then I'm forever changing. I'm forever limited. I'm forever, I'm forever in my knowledge, somewhat, somewhat, excuse me, retarded, because I don't get it all at this particular moment, but as I walk with him and move with him, and as I fellowship with him, he begins to renew me and enlarge me and open up more to me, and therefore I have to change. And we've got to understand that's vision. Vision is forever going to change us. If you've come to legacy, you'll know that we're not the same as we were on day one as we are here in year five. And I'll tell you, five more years from now, we're not going to be the same as we are this morning. We can't be. Because if we are, something's wrong. 
So, so we've got to begin to see that vision is dynamic and God will add things and enlarge things and give us greater understanding. And then finally, number four, the problem with not understanding the purpose or the why we are doing what we are doing. Many people, they go about life and they do what they're supposed to do, but they never understand why they're doing it. You don't, some of you right now, you don't understand why you get up in the morning. What you say to yourself is this. You say, well, I get up in the morning, go to work because I got to pay my bills. Well, let's go back to number one. You've just limited God in a vision. If you're getting up and going to work just to pay a bill, you're in trouble. You better be getting up in the morning, going to work, realizing that you're implementing something that's going to cause God to open a door up in your future that will cause you to be of influence and will cause you to be a kingdom person in what his major plan is in the earth. When you get up in the morning and you realize that you are in the economy of God, it makes getting up a whole lot easier. But we've got to understand the why, the why. I, I like the story of Victor Franco. You may have heard me tell the story before. He was a Viennese psychologist, psychoanalyst. He was actually Jewish. And in the 1940s, he was thrown into a Nazi t- concentration camp. And while he was there, he wrote a book that was entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And he did a little sociology experiment as he was in this brutal, evil concentration camp experience. And he began to watch men and women, those who died during the experience and those who lived through the experience. And he wrote a whole book with regards to this whole dynamic that took place in that evil, evil concentration camp. And, and one of the things he noted was that, that the, the, the men and the women who knew they had a purpose in life, that knew they had a reason to exist, that knew there was greater meaning than what they were facing at just that moment that the people who had a good handle on that were the ones that survived. But the ones who began to live pessimistically and they saw no reason for their existence and they lost that sense of purpose, those were the ones that succumbed to the horror of that concentration camp experience. And one of his most famous lines in the whole book goes like this. He said, He who has a why to live can endure anyhow it's a great line he said if you if you understand why you're here and why you were created and why you are where you are and why god is about what he's about and if you can get a handle on the whys of your existence the reasons of your existence let me tell you all hell can break loose and you'll survive because you know why you're here you you'll get hit you'll get fired you'll get lied on You'll get this, you'll get that. All these things will happen. That's what happens when you live in a fallen society. But you get a hold of your why, all hell can come against you and you'll still prevail. Because you've got your purpose in your heart. I believe our greatest hour as the people of God and as the church is just around the corner. I believe our greatest hour for what God wants to do in the life of His people in his church, in cities all across this world, is just around the corner. And this is for you as a Christian, it's for us as a church, it's for the body of Christ at large. It's to begin to realize that God's on the brink of something big, and we need to be sure we've got that vision. Now, let me just share with you here what your, my, our vision needs. I tell you, I, I, I don't usually say this, but I'll say it this morning. 
You need to write, you need to write this down or buy this CD. Or you need to keep this in front of you because don't be complaining that God ain't working, doing, you aren't seeing things happen. Because I'm, I'm going to share with you some things right now that you've got to get as basics under your belt to see what God can do in the future. What you, my, our vision needs. You know, all of us in this generation have seen evil and we have seen futility in the earth in all sorts of circumstances. I don't know where you were. But, you know, it used to be the generation before my generation, you could say the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and everybody instantly would remember where they were when they heard the news that the president was shot. Our generation, it's now 9-11. If you use the term 9-11, everybody will instantly begin to think about where they were that morning when those planes, those jets, flew into the World Trade Centers. And at that moment, we were confronted with evil beyond at that point, our comprehension. We, we, we couldn't comprehend that kind of evil being perpetrated on us. To this day, I'm amazed at how quickly we forget. More people died in New York City in the World Trade Center than in Pearl Harbor. And we dropped nuclear weapons on Japan because of Pearl Harbor. But nowadays, we don't know what we want to do. We just want to roll over and give up against maybe the greatest evil that has ever been loosed in the world. I'll say it. I mean, you strap bombs on the backs of kids and send them into, whether it's our military people or cafes in Israel or whether they walk down London subway stations or they come here to America, I'm telling you, that's evil. It's evil. It's time we quit dancing with stuff because we aren't interceding right unless we get it. We're dealing with evil. 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 I was reading today in the paper. Everybody's all up in the air. We are retreating our Islamic friends right. I, I I have no ought against Islam, aside from the fact they need to get born again and know Jesus. I mean, that's number one. Amen. I, don't have, I, I know, we're going to look weird saying that. Can you say that? I just said it. They need Jesus. He is the prince of peace. I'll go on. There's futility in the earth. We, we watched as Katrina wiped out New Orleans and the cities of the Gulf. And we, we, we've watched how government tried to intervene and how futile, how absolutely futile all of that effort was. Recently, we saw the bridge collapse in Minneapolis. We watch what goes on by way of the war and the conflict in Iraq. And, and it's interesting to me that there's such evil in the earth and there's such futility in the earth that we really, really question whether or not we have a purpose as the people of God and as the church. Do you really believe that the enormity of evil and futility is going to be solved by a government somewhere? And do you really believe that that same enormity in evil and futility is greater than the solution we find in Jesus Christ and his cross? That's this world's only hope. This is the hour you and I were born in. We have an opportunity to face calamity on a scale that this world has never known. But the good news is we have an answer and a power that's fixing to come forth at a scale we've never seen as the people of God. You understand what I'm talking about? But you've got to get a vision for that. If, we're, if, if our vision is, well, let's, just, let's hope we don't get bombed. Well, I hope we don't get bombed either. But truth of the matter is, bombs are going to go off. Calamity is going to come. Natural disaster may show up. All these things could happen. But this cross is more powerful than whatever gets thrown at us. 
And we got to get a vision for that. That's why we declare the cross. The cross. The smallest church has a greater function than the largest Fortune 500 company. I don't care who the greatest Fortune 500 company is. I don't care how many billions they transact in a week. I'm telling you right now, that company cannot do as much as the people of God in the smallest little church in whatever county you go to. Our vision, our vision, listen to me, our vision is greater and more needful than Hillary Clinton or or than Obama or Giuliani. Or McCain. Or Fred Thompson. I don't care if you're a blue or a red or a Republican or a Democrat. It don't matter to me. I'll offend you all. It's bigger than all of them. All of them. We've got a greater vision, more needful vision than any of those people who are spouting off on cable news and CNN. We've got the answer. we got the answer. You say, that doesn't sound humble. Well, I'm humble in it, but it's still the answer. It's still the answer. You say, well, pastor, you're a little worked up. Yes, I am. Vision. Vision. A picture of the future that produces passion. Write this down now. What a vision needs to be. I'm going to write this down. Number one, a vision needs to be great. It needs to be great. I wrote down here because, because I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, help me, help me then, help me articulate what it is you want me to do, us to do, in a way that, that, that moves with you and what you're saying to us. And I wrote down these words. I believe, I believe my vision, our vision, is to provide the greater Charleston area. And let me just say this. The greater Charleston area is only in this statement because that's where it starts. That's not where it ends. I believe we're to reach a state we're to reach a region, we're to reach a nation. I'm here to tell you that legacy is going to reach the world. Somehow we're going to do that. I was told the other day, just through that little iTunes site, we got people making hits from all over the world, listening to what goes on here. But we're to provide the greater Charleston area with a credible, spirit-filled Christian center that proclaims and demonstrates true freedom, wholeness, reconciliation through worship, relationship, and practical ministry. I was, reading, I was reading how Jesus came into Nazareth in Luke 4, 18, and he declared the vision for his ministry. He said, I tell you what, Jesus, uh, he was humble, no one more humble than Jesus, but it was amazing how he stood up in the temple that day, and this is what he said. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to open up the doors of prison houses, to bring those out of bondage into freedom, to open blind eyes. He said to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you understand that phrase in the literal Greek, the acceptable year of the Lord, actually means the dawn of a new day. He said, I've come to declare and to demonstrate the dawn of a new day. Listen to me, legacy. We have been called to demonstrate the dawn of a new day. We've been called to take the task church as usual and say it's time for the unusual. We're time to take abnormal and make it uh, uh, extra, extra or normal, extraordinary. We're, I mean, we're just, it is time we took to task the limited features of, of what it is that people think we can and cannot do and get those boxes broke and begin to declare and demonstrate an answer to a world 
that's looking for one. Sometimes they'll look at you and the reason they don't think you've got an answer is because you're not really sure you've got the answer. Get a conviction in your heart that I've got the answer. I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. I just know it works. I get, it's working in my life. Am I perfect? No, but it's working in my life. Number two, the vision needs to have a plan. I can't go through the whole thing, but you, we put these on the wall. Win, connect, disciple, send. There are basically four steps that we do, and they're just real simple. We just believe you've got to reach people, touch people. We call them net meetings, casting the net, touching people's lives, winning them to the Lord. That's where it all starts. That's just where it starts. How many of you know you can catch a fish, but you've got to clean it then? You got to catch the fish. When? Then you got to connect. You got to connect them to the Lord. You got to connect them to a local body, a local church. I believe the local church is the answer and the solution and God's organization in the world we live in. I believe it's the local church. I'm not going to apologize anymore for that. It's the local church. So we got to connect people. And so, so how we do that is that we send them to encounter weekends and, 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 and demonstrate the power of the cross by getting them set free from all of those satanic devilish bondages that they have and get them healed and, 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 and get that inner healing working in their life, connecting them. If they've not been baptized, baptize them. Get them connected to the Lord. Then they've got to be discipled. Discipling means you have to be taught the ways of the Lord. Sometimes you aren't in trouble because of the devil. Sometimes you're in trouble because you're ignorant. The devil didn't get you there. You got you there. And so someone's got to tell you, what the truth is, and, and disciple you and let you know that this is how God's ways work. And you just don't make up your own rules as you go along or make up your own sort of thoughts as you go along. But you've got to be discipled and you've got to hear and you've got to know and get some foundation laid in your life. Not only that, but, but we're developing, you're going to see this in the fall, I'm going to call it Consecrate Weekend. Now, Encounter Weekend deals with the devil and his issues in your life, but Consecrate Weekend is going to deal with the flesh. Can, can you say amen to this, that, that, if, that, that if the devil doesn't get you, your flesh can get you? And we need to learn how to go to the cross and get our flesh dealt with. And if we can get our flesh broke, I, 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 some of the keys in some of your lives, I believe, really probably are in the areas of the flesh. I'm not saying the enemy isn't working in there, but sometimes if you can get the flesh where it needs to be and broken, then you'll see a lot of victory come to pass in your life. And then finally, we get to sin. And that is you didn't come to be a couch potato. That eventually you've got to turn around and however God opens up that door, you've got to head into the harvest field. And you've got to begin to be a living witness and a living testimony as to what the Lord has done in your life. Because we can't, you can't sell something that ain't happening in your life. You can't do that. You can't, you can't say, you can't market it, so to speak. You can't, you know, proclaim, you know, what Jesus can do and you're messed up. We've, we've got to be walking, credible testimonies to what God can do in a life. Again, we're not looking for perfection, but we are looking for some progress. You may not be all that you are supposed to be, but you ain't what you were. Are you with me? So we've got to have a plan. Number three, a vision has to have faith. Faith. If God could convert, listen to me, if he could convert and deliver 3,000 people at the day of Pentecost... And then two days later, 5,000 people, and, and hear me now, unfortunately, ladies, it was just men. That didn't count all the women and the children that came into the kingdom at the same time. Probably 25,000 people in the first week 
of New Testament Christianity came in. They didn't just sign the card, pray the prayer, raise the hand, and make a decision. They were converted. If that's what God can do in the book of Acts, and that's how he started the church, how much more could he do it in our age if the latter is greater than the former? We've got to have faith for that. We've got to believe that God can convert people, change them from what they were to who he has created them to be. We also have to realize we're going to have to take a few risks. Peter had to come out of that upper room, get in the street, and begin to speak to some people. He prayed in tongues, and everybody called him drunk. They called him crazy. They said, how be it that you're drunk already? It's not even the drinking time. It's not happy hour yet. We don't understand why you're already drunk. And he said, it's not what you think it is. It's the Holy Spirit. And out of that, the word of the Lord came forth and thousands gave their life to Jesus. That's how come I look at people and they say to me, well, we just put that tongue stuff in the back closet. Well, that's not how it started. It was out in the street, up front and central, and it didn't seem to alienate everybody. There were 8,000 that came in and said, you know what? There's something supernatural about this that's going on. Now, I understand. I've seen, I've seen more weird things than anybody in this room has seen. So don't you come up and say you've had a bad experience. I've had more bad experiences. I'll win. I could write a book on bad experiences. I mean, that thick. Small type. But let me tell you something. I still believe God moves by his spirit. Amen. You just wait. You just wait. If, if, there was a, if there were ever a calamity that came across Charleston, South Carolina, God forbid it would ever happen, but you just watch who they call for prayer. It'll be the, the Shabba Ding Dong bunch, I guarantee you. That's who will get the phone calls. They always call you when they get cancer, that's who they call. They, they ain't calling that church they've been going to for 40 years that couldn't raise a gnat out of the corner window. But they'll call, they'll call... They'll call that person they called crazy for four decades to go pray for them. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Number four, a vision needs to have boldness. There should be a righteous, sanctified confidence that is appropriate in the believer. I don't want you to go out of here prideful. Please don't go out of here arrogant. I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to feel the esteem that comes in Christ, but not the arrogance that comes by being exclusive. The early church had humility, but it also had a boldness in their vision that people took note over. Acts 4.13 says the Sanhedrin, when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they took note of them and marveled that these men had been with Jesus. I mean, I mean, when you go to work, can anybody marvel that you've been with Jesus? I mean, I'm asking myself this question. I'm just not hammering you, man. I'm hammering me. It's just time we began to believe that God has put us here for a reason. We're here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. You may not like me today, but there'll be a day you'll love me. Number five, and a vision needs to have persistence. I always quote Tommy Barnett who said you must stick with a vision for five years before you begin to see the fruit of it. I remember years ago hearing that at a, at a conference. He said five years. And this is Legacy's fifth year. I'm, de I'm declaring, you know, September the 14th 
is our five-year birthday celebration. And I'm declaring on September the 14th, after that date, is the year of fruitfulness. We're going to see the 30, 60, 100. I'm just going to start declaring fruit in Jesus' name. We've already declared that the enemy has to give back seven times out of his house. But we're going to start seeing the fruitfulness come. Because we're right. Amen. Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Verse 3, it says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end... Didn't say at the beginning. It said, but at the end it will speak. And it will not lie. You know, you know why God's going to bless you so much? I want everybody in here to look at me just for a minute. And I want you to just feel for just a moment like I'm talking to you as an individual. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking my finger and just tapping your nose. You know why God's going to bless you? Incredibly. Because when the vision had not yet spoke fully, you hung tough. And you've been walking it out. And you've been praying and believing and interceding. And you've been, st- having done all, you stood. And you sowed. And you've done all that. I'm just here to tell you that it says here that the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. And I understand that when we get to the end and it begins to speak, everybody will hear and everybody will say, that's what I want. And that's the parable of the of the hired hands where God hires some early in the day and in the middle of the day and at the end of the day, and then he pays them all the same thing. I've read that parable for years, and I said, you know what, Lord? I don't think that's fair either. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. That's one parable I don't like. Because if you were hired early in the day and you get paid what those people got paid at the end of the day, you'd say the same thing. Hold on, wait, wait. I've got a few more hours here. There ought to be something more coming my way. And, and the Lord says this. He says, I'm going to pay them all the same thing. And I know how we are. We're, we're going, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not how it's supposed to work. Listen to me right now. Some of you have labored and you hung tough and you've journeyed and, and you've, you've met challenges with me. And at the end, there will be people who will come and will enjoy the blessing of all that God is and has done. Do you understand when God comes, he will heal indiscriminately. He will deliver without respect to any person. He will just come and totally wipe us out in his glory. And I'm here to tell you, people will come and they will enjoy that. And we're going to have to get the spirit in our heart that says, I'm glad that you are enjoying. I bless you and I rejoice with you. And be confident in this one thing, that you were there and you paved the way. Somebody had to. Somebody had to pray. Somebody had to believe. Somebody had to exercise faith. Somebody had to give. And let me tell you, your reward will be great. We've got to get a mind toward eternity. My reward will be great. Because I labored when nobody was watching. I served when nobody was patting me on the back. I kept preaching the truth when the truth wasn't in style. But there'll come a day it'll be in style. And there'll be a lot of people want to preach the truth. There'll be no anointing on it because they weren't preaching the truth when they should have been. But having said all those things, I'm just here to tell you, my reward is not in this life getting a face on the cover of a magazine or even multi-millions of dollars. Our reward is when we stand before our Savior, and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. And he takes some nameless, faceless, ordinary people, and he says, come, come. 
For no longer will you be nameless, but everybody in this heaven will know who you are. No longer will, will you be, will you be this, this faceless, ordinary person who nobody wanted to deal with. Everybody will now know who you are. It's amazing how the kingdom will reverse everything. Amen. Persistence. It says, in the end it will speak, it will not lie. Listen, though it tarries, wait for it. I'm waiting because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Our labor's not in vain. We will reap the harvest. And I'm here to tell you many visions are never realized because people give up too soon. They, they toss in the towel too soon. They get offended and they leave and they miss it because of a silliness. Radical Islam has a vision, folks. Radical Islam has a vision, and most of us in this room, believe it or not, most of us understand it clearly. We've never been, some of you have never been to a mosque, some of you have never heard an imam speak, some of you have never even opened up a Quran, some of you do not know anything theologically or doctrinally about Islam, and yet is it not fascinating that probably all of us in this room, to an extent, understand the vision of radical Islam, and that is all of us are to be one of them, and if not, they're going to blow us up. That's the vision. Now, obviously, we don't agree with that. But, you know, it's interesting how millions do agree with it. And if we don't wake up in the body of Christ, if we don't wake up and begin to once again walk in grace and truth, if we don't once again begin to arise and to step into our authority as a believer, and to begin to expand our vision and begin to understand what God really wants to do in the earth, I'm guaranteeing you, we're going to go back to the dark ages, but I'm not going back. If I'm going back, it'll be kicking and screaming, declaring the whole way, Jesus is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Him. And there have been so many prophecies concerning our city, our region, our state. I just, I just received some more the other day. People are hearing things about our state that are incredible. I'm telling you, and every time they prophesy it, they always say it's starting right there in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, I've been led of the Lord to do several things this morning. And the first thing I want to do is this. Why don't we just all stand for just a minute? Amen. Oh, see, I hollered my way to noon. Okay. Holy Spirit, you're honored in this place. (laughs) Lord, we honor God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know three are one. But Holy Spirit, you are the executor. You are the dispenser in this era of everything that the Father has and everything that the Son provided. You're the dispenser of everything in our midst. So, Holy Spirit, you're honored here. We value your presence. And Lord, I pray right now that by your Spirit, you begin to move in our hearts once again and you'd rekindle the blaze of the vision that we're to reach and set free the teeming masses 
that your son looked at one day and said that they are sheep without a shepherd. They are distressed and discouraged. They are pinned to the mat. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And Lord, I pray today that there will be laborers that will arise, not just because they want to go to work, but because they have a vision. There's a vision. It's your vision that you gave initially to Abraham when you pointed him to a night sky and you said, look at the stars and said, so shall your descendants be. And today you, you reach into each one of our lives and you take us outside our tents and you point to the sky and say, that's the harvest. That's the harvest. Can you see it? Yes, it includes family and friends and co-workers. It includes the few that are around you, but lift up your eyes under the fields at the harvest for they're ripe. And there will be a day that, Lord, it won't just be one by one, but it will be streaming people into the house of God. Lord, I pray right now that you would once again lift our eyes to what you've called us to do, to reach people, to, to free people, to teach people. Lord, let it be not just a slogan that we can throw on a t-shirt, but let it be a fire in our bones. Lord, I can't do it alone. There's some things I just can't even do, period. And I need, there are some folks that are here this morning, I, I need them in order to accomplish what you're asking of me. Lord, no one man can do it by himself. It's going to take all of us doing our part. Lord, I'm asking you by your spirit now to go where no man can go into the hearts of men and women and rekindle that right now. Jesus name in Jesus name and now with every head bowed and every eye closed this is what I want to ask nobody looking around I don't know where you are in life you may have walked down an aisle or you may have signed a card prayed a prayer raised your hand in times past maybe years ago and and you established at some level a relationship with the Lord but let's just be honest I, I'm, I'm not looking to to be doctrinally precise I want everybody up to date in their relationship I, I think God's into relationship. I think doctrine has its place, but I think relationship is why Jesus died. He didn't die for good doctrine. He died for people in relationship. We want sound doctrine. Yes, we do. But he wants to make sure relationships are up to date. And you can't, you can't get a vision of, of doing his will in the earth until, first off, you get a vision for being reconciled with him. You gotta, your first vision has to be, I, I need to be right with God. I need my life to be put back together again i need to get things in order you've got to get a vision for that get a vision for that holy spirit give people now a vision for getting their life where it needs to be let them have a vision to press through whatever rationalizations and games and all the rest let them press through that for just a moment and let them begin to see lord there are people that need to see where they could be if they handled this last moment right and with every head bowed every eye closed nobody looking around this is what I'm asking, and I'm really not, you, you may never have opened up your heart to Jesus Christ. You may never have done that. You may have done that years ago. My, 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 my issue with you right now is not to make this distinction. I'm making an invitation right now that if you're not up to date, on target, right with God, and you know it, that you would just be honest and humble enough to say, you know what, that's me, and I want to be right before I leave this morning because I want to be profitable 
in the harvest. I want, I want a vision for my life. I want God's vision for my life. I want to begin to develop that plan. I don't want to be here in the same place I am right now, a week, a month, a year, 10 years from now. And I'm telling you, there are some of you right now, unless, unless you get that vision, a decade from now, there'll be no change. I'm not speaking negatively. I'm just telling you the truth. So this morning can be literally life-changing for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you just honestly just put it up and keep it up for just a moment. And say, I want to get right with God. Just raise it right now. Raise it right now. I see hands going up. Hands going up right now. Hands going up right now. I want to get right before I go. Come on. Anybody else? Come on. Anyone else? Right now, right now, right now. Thank you. Right, hands up right now. Anyone else? All right, put your hands down right now. I want to pray with you. I don't want you to think about it. Just get, get your mind out of it for a minute. And just go with what God's doing in your heart. But I want to pray with you right now. We like to do this because I, we believe it seals it when you just step out and say, yep, that's me. I'm humbling myself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt me in due season. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself right now. And I want you, if you raise your hand, slip out and just come join me right here. And I'm going to be right here with you right now. And we're going to just pray a prayer with you. Come on, folks, cheer them. These are world changers. These are world changers. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. 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 I want everybody, all the congregations with me right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me right this moment. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, just like I am. You know all my history, and you know why I'm here today. And before I leave, I want everything right between you and me. I confess I've been wayward, and I've sinned. I acknowledge it. And Lord, I confess with my mouth that you died to cleanse me from all that. I receive that and embrace it. I believe you were raised from the dead to lift me up. And Lord, I'm being lifted up into newness. And Lord, I tell you right now, I'm ready for the harvest. I'm ready for the vision. I'm ready for the future. Lord, use me. Do something great in me. Let it begin this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Praise God. This is what I'm going to do. Now I want you all to just stay right here with me just for a second. Congregation, guys, you have that last thing ready to flash. I want you, everybody to look at the screen overhead. And um, we're going to start doing this. You know how when we take up the offering, we do that corporate confession together? And I can, I can close the screen off now. And, and we can do that by heart, can't we? I mean, I could, the kids do it by heart, even better than the adults. And I started thinking about that. I thought, you know, we have done that long enough now that we have sowed those concepts into our spirit to where we can, we can say that before the offering and, and have no trouble saying it. And we believe it. It's in us. And I said, you know what, Lord? It is time that we got that same happening in us. 
with regards to what we do Monday through Saturday. And so this is, I just, I just encapsulated the things that were in my heart. And maybe you have a personal vision statement that you can put up on your refrigerator, your mirror. I'd encourage you to do it. And every day when you get up, you can just begin to declare it and let the words of your mouth be the rudder of your life as you begin to declare some things. But let's just do this together. Just follow after me and let's make this confession together. And let, by the way, I, I think we're going to end service for a good long while. We're just going to say these words. Ready? Let's do it. Lord, I leave your house today ready to reach the greater Charleston area as a credible, spirit-filled Christian who proclaims and demonstrates true freedom, wholeness, and reconciliation through worship, relationship, and practical ministry. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And we're making a difference, and you're making a difference. You may not feel it, you may not always think it, but you're making a difference. Before you go, I want you to make sure you hug at least three, four people, encourage them, tell them they're making a difference, and I'm going to release you right now. God bless you. Hope to see many of you in the middle of the week. If not, we're going to have a great service next Sunday as well. God bless you. Your release.